Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. Well, we are really excited today to have on the king of all clinical psychiatry in the greater Southeast. I'm going to say the United States, Dr. Heath, but, but, uh, we, uh, so that's right. Never miss an opportunity to blow it all out of proportion. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Doc Heath is sort of the grand poobah of one of the coolest podcasts out there called Therapy Bites. Um, I'll put it in the uh, bottom. So anybody that wants to go and listen to it can, and I'm just saying that I will, I listen to a lot of podcasts and everything, and I love what you guys are doing. Uh, you take a topic on clinical psychology or psychiatry, however way you want to put it, and you'll be the expert on this. And then you guys talk about it, and there's four of you on the show. Um, so we, I don't know how we found, I think Larry, we, we got connected somehow, but we talk about a lot of articles on the show about mental health. And we actually had one last week on depression, and Larry immediately started talking about all the things that he didn't know. He said things that I'm absolutely certain are untrue. So we're going to ask you some questions. I'm going to turn this over to Larry. Larry. We were talking about depression. Can you tell Dr. Heath what you thought about depression and why people can't get pregnant? Here's here's my question. I'm, I'm just a kid from the 80s, and I grew up, and I feel like nobody had depression in the 80s, and everybody has it now. Is it Was there really nobody with depression in the 80s, or we didn't count it back then? Or have we created an environment to where there are more depressed people today as there were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago? You, you got it right on both counts, and I'll take the uh, the common uh, view of it today is that we, we simply didn't have the tools to identify all the depression out there, and I'm okay with that as far as I think that's correct. We do have better tools. We have better screening methods. People are more educated, but then also we, we, we've really sucked at not teaching people what depression is not. And we've really tipped the scales and gone really, I would say, off the deep end. And the term in there, and I'm, I'm a big term guy, I love words, is uh, diagnostic creep. And the, the psychological phenomenon is once you have a term for something, people tend to look to see if the term may describe them. I had a colleague in undergrad school that came to me during uh, the time we we're going through a big, thick book. And I'm, I'm I- illustrating with my fingers here to those listening how thick a book it is. <laughs> I don't have a screen big enough. I'm almost <laughs> off screen already how thick this book was. Uh, it was called Psychopathology. And my young colleague came to me and, and said, Heath, I think I have all of these. And I said, all of what? And she said, everything in this book. <laughs> and I said, holy moly. What are the chances? I can guarantee you that you don't have everything in this book. And so diagnostic creep in our profession has gotten, I think, out of control because of we've done a little bit too good of a job talking about depression. Uh, People love to self-diagnose. And it's almost not even cool anymore to not have a diagnosis. We have catastrophized Uh, Well, most of what is normal human existence. The problem with this study that you sent me, uh, even though it has an incredibly large sample, how did you ever come up with a depression diagnosis to begin with? What tool did you use? How many items were on the tool that you used? And by the way, some of the the popular tools, such as one of my favorites is the BDI, the Beck Depression Inventory. uh, It only has 21 items. 
I want you to contrast that to when I do a depression assessment, I may spend an hour and a half with a patient in session one, the diagnostic session, That's, and I still won't know. Oh. 90 minutes, numero uno, one, one person, and I still don't know what they have. And then they may come back for session two, three, four, five, before I'm ever satisfied that I have enough data to bequeath, which I hate doing, by the way, a diagnosis on this other human being. Often a diagnosis is given, and get this, you can start your stopwatch in five to nine minutes. A single human will spend, and we call this human a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a psychotherapist, will spend literally minutes with a person before giving them a diagnosis that will follow them the rest of their life. And that is unwise. And I, I hesitate to say this, if not outright uh, malpractice and unethical. Okay, so wait, let me stop you really quick before we go on, because you just, for my dumb brother out there listening, um, he's like, what the hell did that guy just talk about? So you're saying, ultimately, if, if I parse this out, is that, and I'm sure you're not like critical of other psychiatrists or, or psychotherapists or whatever in terms, but in general, you're saying that people don't spend enough time and then they're, they're diagnosing, diagnosing, whatever we say that, without enough information. So we're saying everybody's, everybody's depressed, but maybe, maybe only 10% of those people are actually depressed. Is that kind of roughly what you're poking at? Yes. The, the profession these days tends toward a false positive. Now to break that in, here's what that means. I smell smoke and I think there must be a house fire. I dial 911. The fire department shows up with six trucks. They 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 knock my door down with an axe. They they bust my windows and crawl through them. And they finally found my burnt toast. <laughs> so there's that way overkill, is what you're saying. Way, way overkill. A false positive is thinking that there is a issue problem effect here and there's not this is the effect but it's something different is it the depression that would keep me from having a child absolutely not actually a better study might be of all those people who have depression but they're still having children mm. well what's the difference why why is it not absolute if, if depression is such a factor in people not having children, why doesn't everybody with depression have no children? Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that the causal factor is not the depression, but something else. That in my earlier example, the runny nose is not the causal factor for not being on podcasts. It may be something else. It may be, hey, I can have my handkerchief. You listeners, I'm holding up a handkerchief. It's not used yet, though. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, it is well used. I probably had this handkerchief for several years. Uh, it's a good thing about it, the recyclable, you know, green planet and all. Right. Um, but it's not the runny nose. It's another factor. And here's what incredibly, and, and I'm just amazed that people have, in my profession miss this especially those in cognitive psychology, because when it comes to engaging in a behavior, it's not the emotion or even the diagnosis that is the causal factor. It is a cognitive factor. The, uh, the causal factor 
is what I'm deciding to tell myself about engaging in a intimate relationship with my wife such that we can have children, what I'm telling myself about having children. I mean, the causal factor is not a emotional factor. It is a psychological or to be specific, a cognition factor. The thing, the causal factor for fear of children is a cognition factor. Is that kind of making sense? Oh, yeah. So wait a second. In our last few minutes, because we, I, t- I told Larry, I was like, Dr. Heath, that guy can talk. I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, Larry, so what I think Larry and I were talking about. So when Larry said that it, the, the reason why people couldn't have children was because they had low libidos due to depression. That was probably incorrect. So we're going to put that out there for our oh, listeners okay. now. Right. So Larry did throw out some quackery. So, Dr. Heath, as we sort of close out here, what I'm gathering from this conversation, and again, like I said, I hope this is the first of many, is that we often that there's no way to clinically diagnose somebody with depression in an even an hour-long session, ultimately. We have that the key is spending time with the patient. Is that what I'm gathering? Correct. But number two is the clinical utility of a depression diagnosis anyway, because what we're after is not really reduction of a non-preferred emotion nor the creation of preferred emotions, but behavioral activation. Uh, the research in cognitive psychology shows that the thing which keeps depression going is behavioral deactivation. The three secret ingredients that are best at combating depression, number one is move. Number two is um Oh, yeah. Move. And number three is move. Move, move, move. <laughs> Exercise? Get behaviorally activated. Oh, so are you saying like physically move or are you saying just move your brain? Doing something. Doing something. Uh, social, physical, occupational, educational, cognitive. Uh, did I say spiritual? I mean, doing things. Good. That is good advice. I'm, I'm using that one. Uh, I, cause I, you know, again, it's, it's pretty much anecdotal or apocryphal, but we've known a lot of people coming, Larry and I lived, we met each other in San Francisco and everyone there has a diagnosis of some sort, right? Everyone there is <laughs> something. And, you know, a lot of times you look at things, or at least I do. And I think some of this stuff just seems like common sense to me in terms of if you eat better and you sleep better and you exercise by and large, you're going to be better off. So well, you would think, you would think, but that's that's not enough. We really need these multi-million dollar funded government studies to prove it to us. <laughs> I feel like there's some tongue-in-cheek there. And, and so just a, just a quick thing to, to end out here is a, a bit of a criticism about my own field. And we just don't like thinking differently. We still do and say the same old things, demonizing emotions and, and depression has become the modern day boogeyman because we just tell people that difficult emotions bad. And in this case, uh, depression will cost you your unborn children. No, <laughs> depression will not cost you your unborn children. That is catastrophizing. Behavioral deactivation will cost you your unborn children. Uh, if, if you decide not to do a healthy thing based on the presence of a difficult emotion, that is a decision. That's a thought process. You could decide otherwise. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, it's, that's a good way. That is a good way to finish it. And I, I, I already, I'm already picking on the next show will be on uh, the over medication of the American public, but 
Uh, I wanted to thank you, Dr. Heath, for taking some time to talk with us. Uh, remember, you guys, the show is Therapy Bites. Uh, Therapy Bites, B-I-T-E-S. Oh. We're taking a bite out of therapy. It is so good. I've watched about seven shows now. Uh, I've got it on my list to, to watch. I actually have listened to it, but I've watched two or three. It's really good. And I encourage people to listen. Thank you again for taking time with us. It's been super having you. And we look forward to talking with you again. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. 